Okay, so this is a um, build as a work session, although work sessions are uh, in effect uh, regular meetings, so votes can be taken. Um, the fact that we're live streaming today um, also is one of our um, things that we hoped um, to have all of our, our votes taken during um, or be videotaped for anybody that wanted to review them. Uh, Dr. Borf, I'll move it to you. Operation sure. plan update. Yeah, thank you. We have, um, I have Kim Lippy here today, who's Director of Staff and Student Services, who will brief you on some of the numbers we're dealing with in terms of um, challenges in student absenteeism, uh, teacher absenteeism. We have a number of positive cases, which in some cases will affect an entire class. We have the uh, uh, contact tracing, which identifies people who have been exposed and they're quarantined. And in some cases, we have entire classes that have had to be quarantined for, the, for that reason as well. But I'll turn it over to uh, Ms. Lippy right now so that she can give you the, the background of what we're dealing with right now, which may lead to some other decisions. Thank you, Dr. Borf. I just I put together just a couple of slides for you just to give you an overview. So basically, um, this is just what we're faced with day-to-day uh, -day with staffing challenges. So Jeff, if you could go ahead and go to the next slide. So just wanted to revisit our COVID tracker and internal uh, dashboard that we're using just to give you an idea again of what we're up against. So you can see currently the staff and student numbers uh, when it comes to close contacts, COVID-related symptoms, and positive cases. And we did share this data at the last school board meeting, so this was just to revisit, but this is definitely contributing to our staffing challenges. So, you know, as a reminder, this is not in any way related to the safety in our buildings but really reflective of our contact tracing efforts. And again, you know, we commend our building administrators and their teams and our nurses who've just done an amazing job with the contact tracing. So it's working and you'll see it reflected here on this dashboard. So through contact tracing, as Dr. Borf mentioned, you know, we are losing staff. Um, now at times we can quarantine an entire classroom, <clears throat> which does help us um, so, Jeff, if you want to go ahead and go to the next slide. Um, and I, I do want to recognize our principals and staff who are really stepping up during this time to help us cover. Um, so, as of last night, so I wanted to give you a snapshot of <clears throat> as of last night at 9 o'clock, as we're continuing to track staffing. So, again, as of last night at 9 o'clock, the total number of staff who needed um, subs or requested subs, that number was at 90. Now keep in mind, we do have many classrooms that are quarantined um, and those classrooms and teachers <clears throat> would not obviously need a sub. So again, as of last night, 90, and of those 90, we had 75 of those were teachers and 15 instructional assistants. So again, as of last night, we knew that our district fill rate was looking, um, at, it was 39%. <clears throat> so we know that overnight, you know, just we'll have people who need to take a family illness day if they're caring for others, a sick day for themselves. I mean, not everything is related to COVID. So 
out of uh, the 75 teachers who needed a sub, um, 45, sorry, 48 of those still needed a sub. So we had in our absence management system, subs would go in and they would pick up jobs, leaving us with the 48 of the 75 who still needed a sub. Again, as of last night, we have our 24 perm subs who would then be deployed to cover those remaining 40, uh, the remaining 24 positions. So we could deploy 24 subs to cover the 48. Well, that means we still have 24 remaining uncovered jobs that are not, have not been picked up in absence management by our regular subs. So that's the challenge. So when Beverly Kane, our sub coordinator, walked in this morning, then she's reevaluating. The numbers had gone up a little bit. Um, I think as she came in in the morning, there were actually 94 people needing a sub. Our permanent sub number from last night to this morning dropped to 21. So we had perm subs also calling in who needed a day off for you know, various reasons. So that leaves us you know, trying to triage, and Beverly, again, does a great job of trying to cover these. Now, the one bullet that I, I did not include on this slide, of those 15 instructional assistants, we have zero coverage. So we've had no one um, in absence management put in to cover for those. And so I know you're thinking, well, don't we have roughly 300 regular subs? Well, we do. And if you'll recall, we did survey those subs and roughly 56% of them told us, I really don't want to work until we are post pandemic. And I think as we're heading into the holidays, we're having less and less subs um, who are signing up for these jobs. So that really, that leaves us, you know, scrambling um, and, and trying to triage. And again, the priority is for us to cover elementaries. That's always the priority. We want to cover the, the most, you know, number of kids that we can. So Bev does a great job, but that does leave classrooms without a sub, but again, we're not leaving students unsupervised. So this is where our principals, again, are doing an amazing job. They are subbing in classrooms every day. Other teachers are covering for their colleagues, and we know that they're, we know that they're, they're tired, um, but we do want to commend them for stepping up and doing this. Along with this, and I think Dr. Borf mentioned earlier, uh, we've got one particular building they are, they're struggling to find subs. So I'll just give you a snapshot. I didn't put this on a slide, but just wanted to mention Riverside Intermediate. As of this morning, they actually had 15 openings that they needed covered. They've got currently seven classrooms out due to quarantining. Now, as we've triaged and tried to find coverage, they ended up with four unfilled positions in their building today which means uh, the principal will be in, in a classroom covering. And as a matter of fact, the junior high, since they're all virtual, administration 
will come over and also help them fill these positions. So this just gives you an idea just of a, what it, you know, daily, what we're faced with right now during this pandemic. The rest of the week, as we've just projected out, again, Eric Day put together an amazing dashboard for us to help us look at these projections. So roughly the rest of the week, we're looking at a, you know, a 50 to 55% fill rate, and that just will ebb and flow. And we do anticipate that these numbers will increase as the week progresses. So just due to, you know, quarantining, close contacts, positives. So that just gives you an idea of what, you know, what it's like each day as we're trying to figure out what's filled, what's unfilled, and how we're going to cover it. And I don't know if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer anything. I have a question, Kim. Um, you mentioned the perm subs and the number was pretty low as far as how many we have to fill positions. Um, when we made the decision to go virtual for 7 through 12, the thought was all those resources, substitutes, we could move down to the elementary and intermediate level. We don't we have a minimum of two perm subs per building? What's happening with all those perm subs at the high school, or do we just have a lot of open positions for permanent subs? Yeah, I think one of, that's a great question. One of the high schools had maybe a few more perm subs. I think Fishers may have had a few more than HSC High School. Bev's constantly trying to fill those. So, yes, in theory, we have, we did deploy the perm subs from the high schools and junior highs to K through six. Again, however, when we, when we typically have 74 and we're down to 24 oh, perm subs, and then again, we had three call-ins. So, you know, we were down to 21 perm subs to try to work with today. So, yes, in a perfect world, it would have been fantastic to even have 50 perm subs to deploy. That would have, you know, helped us significantly, but we, we just, we don't have that right now. So one of the comments I think I made um, last board meeting when we made that decision was I, that one of my ways I would measure success on pooling the resources was if we no longer had the classes where we have rotating subs in all day and our administrators don't have to take um, do double duty. Um, it sounds like that's not the case right now as far as filling positions. Our administrators are subbing. We do have rotating our classrooms with rotating adults basically for supervision. Is that accurate to say? I yeah, think we, it's, that's, it's, that's that it's safe to say that accurate. our administrators are in the, in the classrooms in virtually every building. And in some cases, we have administrators who are out as well. And, and is that... I mean, there's a reason why we have administrators who aren't assigned to classrooms on a normal uh, in normal times. Is it is that is that a safety issue when our administrators aren't available to handle problems as they arise because they're doing class coverage? Well, it it is it's awkward. I mean, what we what we try to do is have our administrators uh, um, make make themselves available through communication to the to the offices, and I'm I, I'm confident that they are. But that also creates difficulties when they are called to the office for emergency situations. Um, something has to be done to supervise the classes where they are. So 
it generally falls to one of the nearby teachers who is called upon to uh, be flexible, and they always are. But um, but that's you know, also against our cohorting and our spacing right. and all that sort of stuff. And we're calling on TDSs, teacher librarians, counselors, uh, to be able to, again, that's part of the triage. You know, again, we've always been creative to be able to cover classes, but now given the pandemic and that, you know, knowing that we need to not combine cohorts, you know, there are things that limit us. Now, at, on the intermediate side, if they have a larger space, they may put two classes together, but on one day you might only have three students in one class, and you might have six in another. In that situation, they most certainly can socially distance those kids. Um, it, it's just a lot. So we, we are pulling, you know, like you said, administrators from, from um, they're just, they're shifting their, their leadership into different areas um, where we would love to be able to, you know, still have them helping support uh, instruction. So, and I did hear you say that you don't anticipate this getting any better. Is that? Yeah, we anticipate that these numbers will increase as the week progresses. We do, as we monitor the COVID tracker each day, and then the buildings report to us. Um, as it, you know, as it's reported to us, we just know that um, we're going to anticipate. Yeah, this the numbers increasing for sure. Can you remind me? The administrators are the primary contact tracers in each building. Is that correct? Well, they, each building has a team, um, so it, if it just depends on how busy their team is. So they'll have a nurse who helps them, maybe an assistant principal who's also part of that COVID team to help with contact tracing. Um, so they're working as a team, uh, and it depends on, again, the numbers in a particular building, and if it's a whole classroom, and having to make that, you know, that contact, it just take it does take some time. Do we have any more data about um, spreading the spread throughout the schools? I know last meeting it was went from like point something to three or four percent. Any additional data on that? We don't have an update from Eric. I would say it's safe to assume that we're still roughly around that four percent. Um, that we think could potentially um, be internal. Mm -hmm. We do have an interesting report from him. Uh, um, this is not necessarily about the spread, but we always hear how uh, the younger children are less likely to uh, have transmission and have cases. We've done a, just a quick study, and we're looking at the positives that have come up in pre-K through four, it's 41% of our positives. That, that represents 96 cases. In five, six, 24 cases. In seven, eight, 40 cases. Nine, 12, 77 cases. So, the, sure, pre-K to four is 96, representing 41% of all cases. Five, six, now that's just two grade levels. 24, representing 10%. 7, 8, 40, representing 17%. And 9, 12 would be 77 
or 32%. We just think it's interesting that from pre-K through four, that's our, that's our largest group of cases. Um, and I'm not suggesting that there is a spread there going on, but those students are just as susceptible to this virus as any other age group, and perhaps even more. I would also encourage, I don't know who's, who's listening out there or who's watching, but our parents need to be willing to support us by keeping their children home when they're being tested. When, when there's a suspicion that a child uh, may be carrying the virus and they have a test, but the results haven't come back yet, they need to keep that child at home. Um, we, were, we were informed that a couple teachers were uh, quarantined because of uh, close contact with a student who should not have been at school. And uh, haven't investigated that case yet, but we need everyone to cooperate for us to make this work, to keep the transmission low, and just to keep our teachers in the classrooms. And we're having a difficult time doing that. Can I ask the period of time for which that data was collected? I believe, let's see if he says. I think it's since the beginning of this, of this year. So this is since no. August yeah. 10th? I think when he started collecting data, that was September 6th. Okay. That was when he officially started I, collecting. I stand corrected, September 6th. It's, uh, if that date is different, I'll let you know. But I And keeping in mind that, well, has it been since September that Fishers was allowing younger kids to be tested? I, think, I don't know if that aligns with the same date. Not sure. Would you characterize the current situation as the worst we've seen so far throughout this pandemic, since our schools have been open, not since March, obviously? I would say we're probably dealing with more problems today than we have to date. Yeah, uh, I would agree, I think. Yeah. And I think it's uh, related to the increase in numbers that we're seeing. We are, we are very close to uh, notifying the, the families at Riverside Intermediate that we will be going virtual there. Um, that doesn't seem to be a sustainable building right now. And we may be looking at some other buildings. There have been requests that we go virtual throughout the system until Thanksgiving at least. There have been even some who suggest that we should be going virtual until winter break. Uh, like our, our other buildings. I've been in co contact with uh, other superintendents from Hamilton County, and there's a mixed bag of responses that you get when you call the different superintendents because we're all dealing with slightly different situations. There's a, there's a real tension uh, because m most superintendents have the data, as we do, that students are better off in our buildings than they are out in the public. In fact, there's one concern. One superintendent said, if we, give, if, if we go virtual, I will guarantee you that our students will be downtown uh, uh, in, in shops, coffee shops, and at McDonald's or wherever, and the quarantining that we would hope would happen at home is not happening. So are they safer in school? Yes. But are we able to provide safe uh, surroundings for our teachers and have our teachers in the classrooms, 
that's that's the real stress on us right now. So I think we're all feeling the same thing, probably at different levels. So we're we're looking very closely at uh, a virtual a virtual uh, setting at least until Thanksgiving for some of our buildings, maybe the the entire system. Was there any feedback on the Friday? Um, unexpected virtual day for the whole system because of numbers as far as teacher feedback parent feedback as uh, as far as the the main purpose of our school districts is education did anybody have you heard from anybody that that was a better day because um, we, did, we, we did, did hear from some teachers that it was it was nice to have um, the entire group on one platform and they welcomed that I didn't hear I really didn't hear much from the parents one way or the other. I didn't, I didn't receive any complaints. I think they knew what was coming. Uh, so I can't speak for all the administrators. Perhaps there were some complaints out there. Um, but we did hear positive remarks from teachers. Well, I know um, we talk about, you know, the physical health and also the mental health of our staff and students. And um, what I've been hearing is that our current state is not great for mental health when um, teachers and students see the school nurse walking down the hallway and wonder whose class she's going to stop at next to let them know that you're quarantined now and you, know, you have to go home. Um, I mean, I, I can't imagine teaching in such an environment where you're just waiting for the, the other shoe to drop. Um, I, I would, so Dr. Borf, you're not making a recommendation one way or another at this point. Well, I am, I'm telling you we're doing something with Riverside. I don't know that we have the data to support a recommendation to um, go virtual across the system until Thanksgiving. Well, I just think with that 50 to 55% sub-fill rate, that to me is data that supports a change. Um, we discussed yesterday um, the need for parents to understand what's coming. And if we do a, a virtual across the board, we have many elementary school parents who haven't made arrangements for their uh, for their child care. I'm confident that when we have snow days and there's no there's no prior notice given, they make adaptations, but that's generally for a day or so. Um, this would be until Thanksgiving break, and we we talked about the need for them to have at least a couple days. To prepare so if we make that recommendation it wouldn't be for tomorrow when would you make that recommend for what a day to have that be effective uh, well today's Tuesday I would I would say no sooner than Thursday uh, okay. through to the Thanksgiving break okay. I mean yeah I don't if you don't do it then there, I don't know if there's yeah, there's, no, there are only, there, there's only a few days before Thanksgiving. I mean, it right. gets to be, you know, it gets to be non-effective. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm looking at the Riverside chart, and the positive cases and the COVID-related are flat. It's staff, correct? Has that met a 20% threshold at Riverside? in front of me I don't know that we have that that percentage but again we have classrooms that are definitely he has uh, 
Dr. Kaminsky has seven classrooms and uh, teachers that are quarantined right now. And then in addition to that, um, he, had the, he had 15 total openings, seven were quarantined, and then we had four unfilled. So I would have to go back and look at the numbers in their buildings to determine that percentage. So Dr. Borff, you don't need our, we're not, we're not voting on one building. Right. We so can, that will be. That can be an administrative decision. Okay. Across the board though, uh, we, we agreed that it would take board approval to move from one. For the whole district. One phase to another, yeah. So we can make a motion to, to change if one of us so desires to do so. Sure. Okay, I will make a motion um, that uh, grades K through six be virtual until a minimum of Thanksgiving break um, beginning Thursday. I'd like to begin tomorrow, um, but recognize the child care issues, um, even though we aren't in the business of child care, recognizing that that is um, a hardship for, for parents to find that. Although I, I do recognize that parents, when you're quarantined, you have to find child care right then, um, which is, has happened countless times throughout our district. So um, I'd like to make a motion for grades K through six, uh, pre-K through six to be virtual until Thanksgiving and reassess at that time. Um, I'll second that. Dr. Borf, I'd like to just look forward if, if um, so, so to be clear, your recommendation today was not necessarily 100% virtual. You, you didn't feel we're there that we need to go to that point yet? We're having a difficult time filling classrooms. So I don't know that I would be opposed to that at all. Um, in fact, we've considered bringing that to the board. What I'm not sure about is going virtual beyond Thanksgiving uh, 100%. And we may be looking at uh, another, another option at that point. So that was my question, or my, the next part of my question is, is looking forward. So as, you, as we get to Thanksgiving, if we go virtual starting Thursday, that we, we may not be getting as much data as far as what's going on. And then the decision that we would need to make um, is there's a holiday that, that pops up. And so I'm not, if, if we're making the decision today to go virtual, so imagine that is, is a, a direction we go, would you have any different advice as for as how long that goes? Is it prudent for us to say today, we're gonna start back the Monday after Thanksgiving, or if, if you're hearing that the board thinks, hey, we're gonna go virtual starting Thursday, would it be better to extend further beyond, or what, what might that look like, and, and then what, if it doesn't extend further but beyond, when do we need to talk again to make sure that we're confident with a return that Monday after Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. I guess I could leave the motion open, pre-K through seven virtual period, mm -hmm. beginning Thursday. It wouldn't be possible for the board, well, maybe it would be possible. I don't know if you'd be interested in coming in on uh, 
the Friday after Thanksgiving or not, and I don't know that we would have the numbers that would give us any reason to do anything uh, in the way of a recommendation. What we would what we would be doing through from tomorrow through next next week would be to watch the positivity rate and among our students and teachers. The one nice thing about this is that for the most part, uh, many of our teachers who have been quarantined would be out and ready to go on that uh, on that Monday, provided they haven't been that they haven't come down themselves with uh, with the virus. So our classrooms would be better uh, better equipped with teachers. I can't speak about the students though. I, I don't know how many of them would be affected. And it seems like we're going to. I mean, if we're already trying to remind parents to keep their kids home when they have symptoms, I can only imagine what our numbers are going to look like after everybody goes and travels for Thanksgiving. I agree. I mean, I, I wish I had more faith that everybody would stay home, but given data that we've seen, the number of people that are still planning on having big Thanksgiving meals and traveling and flying, What's I'm not sure that it's going to get better after <laughs> I, I don't know of any surrounding districts, at least in our county, that are going virtual until um, winter break or the, or after. Marion County is, um, and that would that would be a model that we could look at. But that's um, okay. In December, we would have coming back from fifteen days following Thanksgiving yeah. break. It could be. I mean, I hate to see students out of class, but... Well, in my opinion, their education won't suffer because they would be getting consistent virtual education, it would which... would be consistent. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things that I... We don't really have um, good, strong data on. I think that sometimes there's this um, misconception that because the kids are in the classroom right now, they're getting the same education that they received a year ago in the classroom. And as much as that would be a great target to hit, I don't know that that's a reality because we're dealing with about a thousand other things that, you know, they need, the teachers need to deal with, kids need to deal with. And so that's not probably a reality. The real question that I have is how much difference do we believe there is in 100% virtual and the model that we have put in place in the education that the teachers are delivering versus the in-class 50-50 and then the 100% that we're seeing in K through 4. And I don't, I don't know where that is, but... I have to believe that to a to a large degree that the um, that we've we've undervalued the virtual education the virtual learning well and we're putting probably a premium on a 50 50 or even a hundred percent on k through pre-k through four I think I, I would disagree I, I mean just as a parent with two kids in elementary school there's I mean there is a huge difference between how they were learning virtually versus what they're doing in class. Okay. 
So I, I think at that age group, there is a huge difference. It probably changes significantly as you move up into middle school and high school because they're much more independent. But, you know, when I'm trying to work all day and also trying to teach my kid how to do addition and read, I mean, those are very different learning skills that you need somebody. To, so I think there is a big difference at that age group. Um, that doesn't mean that I think our numbers and the issues we're dealing with may not support going virtual. But um, even between 50-50 and 100%, I mean, I can see the difference in their their learning. So I, I think there is a big difference at that age group. And, but, but it doesn't mean that going virtual isn't the, the right choice either, just because of the other issues we're dealing with. Right. And I and, and those are those are that's valuable information because my kids are at the high school level, okay? And so every level has its own nuances and, you know, has its own, you know, issues that we have to look at. So I think they're very, you know, very much independent of one another. So I just, so, you know, it's, the perspective is helpful. Brad, as we consider looking at these things and as what Julie has just referenced, they do have a better educational experience when they are in class. I am struggling because of the staffing issues. And when you have this, this, uh, it's not this, it's not a, a, an equal, even though they're in class now, it's because they've got these, the staffing and the other issues coming into play with this pandemic of they're in and out. And so it's not a consistent education experience that we are seeing, and it's and it's really really hard because I want to have them be there, the K through six. I want all of them be in class, but when we have this this need to quarantine everybody because of one instance of somebody being in contact, then we've got to we're going to pull those people out and pull somebody in who has not been had a relationship with those students and not have the same. Um, degree of uh, educational, if they're a substitute teacher who's just had maybe some college or maybe a degree which is not an education and they're, they're substituting, it's not going to be the same uh, educational experience for those kids. So I am, um, I'm not inclined to take this step yet completely, even though with all this rationale I just expressed. Um, I still would like to see a little bit more data. I want to see how, yet I'm still struggling with, because of the staffing issues. And I think to your case in point, we've seen even situations where a classroom is having more than one substitute in a day. You know, maybe they have a morning substitute and then an afternoon substitute. And then you're talking about, you know, how different does that educational experience look like in one single day? And, and that, I feel like, is severely diminished. So. And, and in that case, too, we still have a group of kids who are 100% virtual. Are they, when there's staff rotating in and out, are they able to address any of the virtual students' needs? I don't think so. Um, I, I also worry, too, because of um, the testing situation. Like, I mentioned at the last meeting that my son was identified as close contact. Um, we were informed of that, not necessarily told that he had to get tested, um, which I, I have seen um, a lot of talk out there on social media that that's not a consistent um, refrain that, that parents are being told if their child's a, a close contact that they should get them tested. Um, 
and, and I think that's a, a definite. However, last Wednesday during the meeting, I texted my husband and my son and said, sign up for a, a test. Last Wednesday, today is the first day he could get in to be tested. So, you know, our, we, we, we don't know the data if we don't see kids getting tested. Yeah, I tried to schedule a test this morning for my daughter just because quite a few of her friends are out of school. And I thought, eh, maybe we'll just see. And I can't get a test until Monday. But yet, so uh, almost a week out. Yeah, the first available is the 23rd. But yet, in on the Fisher's da dashboard, um, the test availability is in yellow. So I, I don't know what criteria they're using, but I don't think it's in yellow. I'm a bit Dr. hesitant at this point to make a decision um, through December 18th um, on November 17th especially at a point where our administration, um, while recognizing there are some challenges, didn't come in and say, hey guys, we have to close it down and we have to do it now. Um, and so I'd be more inclined. I also don't think that bringing students back November 30th um, is necessarily the right move because it would necessitate us being together Friday the 27th to make sure that that makes still makes sense. And so um, I, I would lean towards it, if we're going to make this move, um, to have it go through December 1st um, so that we could meet as a group on November 30th, look at the new data, especially looking at uh, sub availability and, and capacity, knowing that we might have more teachers returning that week. Um, I, I'd be in favor of, of getting together again then and determining what's best um, going forward rather than making this decision for a, a full month, not completely knowing and not having a strong recommendation to do so. Or maybe we could just base it on um, our community metrics. If our metrics start going the right way, then we pull back together and reassess and, and make the determination at that point. Um, I, I don't know that... Uh, we, we might not have the reporting if our students are not in school, although if they're tested and they're virtual, they still need to let us know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if they can't get tested until Monday. Right. Right. I mean, how is that? Yeah. Microphone. Dr. Borf, and may, may I just give something, I'll offer something else just to consider if, if we're talking about going all virtual, um, I believe that we would need um, perhaps action to pay and think about our support staff. I just, I think we may have some folks watching now wondering if we go all virtual, like our food service and bus drivers who could be feeling some stress right now with us talking about going virtual. But I think, um, I believe, Dr. Borf, that would require action to pay support staff. So mm -hmm. just something else to consider. Sure. And if we were to go 50-50, uh, for K-6 in December, that would still impact some of those support staff, yeah. So not to just keep throwing out dates here, but as I'm looking at the calendar, thank you, Jeff. Um, if today's the 17th, if we made the decision to go virtual for the district until the 4th, and then we as a board convene on say like Wednesday or Thursday, that gives us more data points, time for more testing, 
And then that way, that's a clean, you know, kind of a clean break to say, well, do we come back on Monday the 7th or do we not? Or and make those decisions. It's a, it's a, it's a full week break, you know, it's not midweek. It's not, um, because if, if you get it, if you're scheduling a test if you, today and you're not get, being able to get in until Monday, I mean, we're looking at, we're getting close to Thanksgiving, time to get the results back. I'm just, I'm concerned that we're not going to know on Monday the 30th what that even, I don't think we're going to have enough data points at that point, it, you know, um, so your recommendation would be to go virtual K-6 until the 4th with a board meeting on the 2nd? 2nd or 3rd or however to give us whatever you think the mm -hmm. timing would look better to make a decision for, you know, for to be effective Monday the 7th. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, even a Thursday would give us more, more time for some more data, but I don't know. Thoughts? I'd be comfortable with that. I would be comfortable with it if our if our community metrics show that there's improvement. And I think that could be part of our discussion with our meeting. Um, I think that would be a valid mm -hmm. valid discussion point. I'm not at all optimistic that they will, but um, yeah. Um, so, okay, we have a motion. We have a motion on the floor. Yes, you would have to move to amend the motion. Yeah, and we'd have to vote on that. So. Yeah. I'm going to move to amend my motion um, and help me with this, Janet, but pre-K virtual until the 4th. Um, and if community metrics have improved such that we could look into going um, back at some in some realm, and we're talking just pre-K 6, um, have a meeting on the 2nd. I don't know that I have to have that as part of the motion. Um, we could have it any day. Right. Okay. Um, so amend my motion. Amend my motion for um, virtual for pre-K to 6th until December 4th. Reassess prior to that if our community metrics have improved. One more comment. Um, oh, and beginning the Thursday the 19th. I'll second that. Okay. Okay, um, I'm just wondering how quickly can we, um, and maybe this is what uh, Kim could ask, answer for us, is how, uh, maybe even Janet, um, Chandler, how quickly can our uh, elementary teachers switch gears now for that length of time? It's one thing to have a single day or two days, but now we're going to have a, a longer length. Of, thank you for the highlighting. Mm -hmm. uh, for the long, you forgot to do the 23rd, 24th. Um, <laughs> they, I, mean, I can have I can. that. So, how would you um, believe that the the staff can be change their 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 uh, the modality of delivering their the education quickly for this length of period? I, I believe that Dr. Lone is on. So, Stephanie, are you able to uh, contribute and talk about what that pivot would look like? Mm -hmm. um, our teachers are already doing that pivot um, with short notice, and they're organized that way to make that happen. So I do remember from some input from the teachers that they would appreciate having at least a day in between where they could organize materials for students and make sure that they had time. So 
the Thursday idea seems to make sense in terms of if we notify teachers and principals today that they would be able to communicate with families in terms of the schedule and material, but I feel confident that they'd be able to pivot. I think they pivoted so and then much the, they're dizzy. And then the same would go then uh, the back the opposite way. So if we had a meeting on, let's say, Wednesday the 2nd, that would give time, or maybe the 3rd, that would still give a couple days for teachers to be aware of, you know, something changing maybe Monday the 7th, possibly. The only issue I have is that you have a weekend between that decision versus the decision to uh, go completely virtual right now, you give a single day between, is that sufficient time? And you're, but Ms. Uh, Dr. Lone has already suggested that that is adequate for them to make that pivot, right? Yes, I yes. believe so. They have such a structure where they are meeting the needs of students that are quarantined every day. I would add to what Dr. Lone just said and say I think they would welcome that uh, having one platform. Mm -hmm. They're doing virtual anyway. And to be able to narrow to one platform, I think they would be very grateful for. And I did want to mention with my motion and uh, paying support staff. I know, yeah. I, I'm amending my amended motion. I would recommend that you do that yeah. as well. Pre-K to 6 um, until... Can you do that after you've already made one amendment? To have to, don't we have to vote on the First Amendment and then make another? Mm, I, I don't Can know. we layer these Robert's amendments? Rules. Last year we had a resolution that essentially gave Dr. Boroff the authority to make those decisions regarding pay. Would it be wise that we revisit that resolution and potentially grant that through the end of this school year so so he's got that authority? Yeah, but we're the ones who have to find the five million dollars to cut um, at some point. I I don't know. Dr. Borf, your thoughts? I would recommend that you pay these people. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And as far as the recommendation for uh, extending that resolution, um, it would be nice to have that resolution in okay. front of you. <laughs> Again, yeah. sorry, Denise, um, and anybody else paying attention. Um, so amending my motion, um, pre-K-6 virtual. Um, I'm sorry, Madam President. Yes. Um, because there was a motion and then amendment and then a second. Okay. What do I need to do? We've had two motions. A motion, then I amended it. Now I'm amending it again. Can we just vote on this and then make think, another motion? Yeah, I think it's That's probably cleaner to just vote okay. on what's on the floor and then yeah. got it. Okay. I guess we might not have to vote anything if, if this motion doesn't pass. Okay. So my amended motion, um, pre-K-6 virtual until fourth, December 4th, at which point we um, will reassess if the community metrics have improved. Um, any further discussion? Okay, I will call for the vote. All in favor? Opposed? Okay, that motion passes six to one. So um, I'd like to make another motion that we um, pay our support staff during our time that we are virtual. Michelle, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. just to clarify, that was for your amended. That your, was for my amended. Your amendment. And now we oh. still have to vote on the original motion. Now we have that to That was just back. to amend your motion. 
and December 4th. Now we have to vote on the actual closure or going virtual. But isn't, I mean, didn't we vote to go virtual? No. I, that amendment? I think all we voted on was to allow the amendment to the motion. Okay. So now we have to actually vote on the motion, I believe. Okay. So what is the, what is the motion we're voting on? Who your motion? You originally made a motion mm -hmm. to go virtual 100% K through pre-K through 6 through the end of Thanksgiving. Right. Then you moved to amend that to end December 4th. So we voted on your amendment to change your motion to end December 4th. So now the motion on the floor is to go virtual 100% pre-K through six until at least December 4th. That that doesn't make sense to me, but um, I mean, because my original motion was Thanksgiving and we've changed that to December 4th and we voted on it. No, we voted on, we voted on your on amending amendment motion. to amend the motion. Now the motion okay. on the floor is to go virtual pre-K through six through December 4th. That, okay. that was what we need to vote on. Okay, what she said basically I'm sorry, I am not an expert on Robert's rules, and I appreciate those people who are willing to, to correct me. Um, so the motion on the floor, pre-K to 6, virtual until December 4th. Yes, and now we can have continued discussion on okay. that if people still have questions in this. Any further discussion or comments on that? Dr. Borf, if we, if we go virtual through December 4th, do you think that extra week of virtual would give you and the administration enough or more data on how we'd be doing with subs those next two weeks if we I, went back in some form? It, any data that we can get would be helpful. And so I think that that would be helpful. I can't say it's going to be conclusive, but it's better than coming back on the 30th. It's better than going just virtual through the 30th and then coming back and hoping now magically we have all these other subs that are healthy to right. go work. Okay. Amanda, any comments? I know... Yeah, I, I can appreciate Mrs. Chambers having a test scheduled. I did not feel well Thursday evening, Friday, Saturday, stayed home, piercing headache, but just wanted to eat everything in sight and had a strong sense of smell. So thank God I woke up Sunday perfectly fine, never had a fever. But I can appreciate that it's taking five or six days because I'm looking through the data on all of the elementaries and there's nobody in any of our elementaries that has it, but that might be because of the test lag. I, I don't like making decisions without the data, but I, I would have preferred your original motion, and I'm a bit confused with the voting also. <laughs> um, I would have preferred going back as the gentleman recommended on December 1st, but um, I just... I hope we we really asked back in August for Fishers to please get that testing and results back within two days. And to run these schools, we need data and test results quickly. Well, and according to their dashboard, the turnaround time is in green, which is less than three days, but their wait says more than two days. So it'd be nice if you could get it tested to get it back the next day, but get the test done the next day as well. So yes, recognizing yes, that's an impossibility almost in this environment. Um, okay, so any further discussion on that motion? Okay, I will call for the vote. All in favor, please raise your hand. Okay, that motion passes six to one.
Um, I'd like to make another motion. Um, oh, the no, no vote. yeah, no. six to one, um, Amanda being the no vote. To yes, clarity, because people can't see us on the yeah, on this. Yeah, because I like yours. Um, a motion to uh, pay our support staff throughout this, uh, the virtual period that we've designated. I'll second. Okay, motion by Michelle, second by Amanda. Any further discussion or comments? I'll call for the vote. All in favor? Was I didn't see the hands down there. Okay, unanimous. Thank you, 7-0. Okay. I do have a question, Dr. Mm -hmm. Borf. Um, during this virtual time, um, will it be similar to the beginning of school where teachers will report to school buildings? It will be. Okay. Yes. Okay, just clarifying. Mm -hmm. In fact, we'll be offering services to um, students, as we did that first that first uh, session, who are um, perhaps working with IEPs, labs, etc. There will also be testing going on, and we'll make, we'll try to make that available to students. SAT is happening at that point. Okay, anything else, Dr. Borf, or any other? Just one more question for Kim. Um, of those teachers that are quarantined, how many would have returned during the time that we just, I just took away the, the calendar, that they would have returned during the time that we now are going virtual? I would have to because go Because the quarantines are yeah. over. Yeah, so depending on the, the time right. frame of the quarantine. So you don't know. Right. Exactly. And they're, right, they're coming in and out. So it's a revolving door. Although the, we could have new ones quarantined because Right. And some of those quarantined for close contact could be positive mm. during that period of time. We're the, doing the a lot of The thing that we have noted is that this is all so fluid. It's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to project with certainty anything right now um, and one other thing I wanted to bring up was um, the notion of quarantines teams um, I know I think back I mean I, I have one child left in the school district as a senior I don't really have to worry about him a whole lot he's very um, independent but recognizing the fact I've thought about this a lot um, if this would happen you know 15 years ago when I had much much younger kids and um, I was working from home at that point, um, and just the the childcare issues, the the battles that I would face with my own children trying to get them to do this. And I don't know if, if our school has encouraged um, parents, families teaming up with another family. I know um, my own children behave so much better when I'm not telling them what to do, but someone else is telling them what to do. And as a teacher, I know. You know, when you tell parents how wonderful their children behave in class, they are just incredulous because they don't behave like that at home. Um, but I don't know if, if, if the school district can encourage quarantines where families can team up together with, you know, their own um, safe group um, of, of children, you know, not large groups by any stretch, but something that would help with the... Um, with the child care issues and, and the um, helping just all around. So. I think the whole problem with our spread in our community is that people are expen expanding their, their bubbles. So I think the fact that you think, oh, I'll just let my kid play with this one kid down the street, 
and then that family's like letting that kid play with one kid down the street, that's where our spread is coming from. So encouraging families to mix, I think, is is not going to help. Well, and, and I'm not talking about way. flexible groups. I'm talking about you pick somebody, and that's your, your team. I think the, the recommendations now, as far as I can tell from health departments, is that you stay with your own family. If you don't live in the household, you really shouldn't be going into other people's households. Yeah, understood. I mean, in reality, the fact that we are out two and a half weeks here, um, if families actually just stayed in their family unit um, and they did what or they're being, you know, what would be, you know, follow strict guidelines and, you know, strict recommendations, we ought to have every kid virtually every kid back with every teacher back on the 7th if we did that because you know if it if it runs has 10 days to 14 day runtime we've got time here that we ought to be able to bring everybody bring back the folks just the way they are today and have classrooms that are fully staffed and be ready to go short of somebody waking up, you know, not feeling well in the morning. I get that, you know, that we would have had. We shouldn't really be struggling with pandemic issues when we come back if people did that. Now, it's a huge if. I mean, you know, those letters are 48 font. They're all capitalized, <laughs> bolded, italics. I mean, everything. It's not happening. I get it. But this gives us enough time to recover. Agreed, and this kind of puts some of the onus on the community too. So, okay. Any further questions or comments? I'll call for a motion to adjourn. So move. Move to adjourn. Meeting adjourned. Thank you.